What do you want? Screaming Queens. Listen, I am two seconds away from calling the police. Screaming Queens horror podcast. Something is trying to get inside my body, and you want to sleep with me. Give me those shoes, they're mine. Give them back to me. Be sure to tell the young woman that mother sends regards. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jockstrap? It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. But it certainly will be a nice little surprise when Richard comes home to find a little girl in the house. I see no manhood between your legs. We are the weirdos, mister. I can see your dirty fellows. It was an asylum! And it was hell! 20 years of pure hell! We have such sights to show you. To a new world of gods and monsters. Hello and welcome to Scream and Queens, the queer horror podcast. My name is Jonathan Larkin and today I have a special guest with me on the show. And this person is someone who I consider to be a really good friend a fair-weather enemy, and um, most of all, an acquaintance. Um, I would like to welcome to the show Mr. Steve Hughes. Hello, Steve. Hello, hello. How are you? Acquaintance. <laughs> I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I still haven't had enough coffee this morning, so I'm a little bit here, there, and everywhere. Um, so Steve is a fellow soap racer like me, and um, beyond that, he's also a massive fan of horror movies. And he's also a big homosexual. So it's obvious that, you know, the reasons why he's on here. In fact, he should have been on here before now. I can't believe we've got to episodes 109 or 10. And this is the first time you're here. Oh, my God. You've done so many. I know. I know. Quantity over quality, obviously. Obviously. Like your script. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve Steve comes with some kudos because Steve has written on Hollyoaks with me for how long is it now? Is it, it's, is it? it's, te- it's 10 years. Wow. You, you, you've been there before me because you've, yeah. you, you've been there about 12. 12 years I've been there, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and Steve, when, not long after Steve joined the show, actually, you... You were, were responsible for a massive sort of horror serial killer slasher type storyline. Would you like yes, to explain, yes. explain, explain to our listeners um, what you're responsible for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the character was is called uh, Silas, and yeah, I've always, like you said in the, in, the, in that intro, then I've always I've always loved horror and stuff like that. And then I was thinking, so it was a. It was about 10 years ago, and I was just thinking about what was going on at the time, and there was lots of stuff about internet dating and meeting people online. And because Hollyoaks is a teen show, mm-hmm. I thought it might be good to just say to the viewers, you know, do all this stuff, but you need to be really careful. So what I came up with, I actually I was walking into work that day. I was on a um, help kick. And I thought of it on the way to work. So it was basically one of the characters had met a lad online and um, he was really, really, she'd seen his photos. He was really, really nice, really sexy. And she arranged to meet him and she didn't tell anyone um, what she was going to do. And on the said evening, she went to meet him. And then on the way, she bumped into a man who was about 60, whose car had broken down and she helped him. Um, whatever, she went to my phone or whatever. And then as she was heading off, he said, oh, thanks for your help, India. And then she said, um, she turned back and went, I don't think I told you my name. And then he said, um, but you did online and advanced towards her. And then we were like, well, hopefully the people were like, oh, shit. And then about five minutes, about five, ten minutes later in the episode, um, the man who we knew had killed her turned up in the village. It transpired he was um, the Costello family's granddad. And then, mm-hmm. um, so it was just like, um, it was, like I said, it was to let the audience know, be careful online, and then like to have a really good um, serial killer gothic story that we know, but the characters don't. There's a serial killer living amongst them. It was so fabulous. I mean, what I loved about it wasn't it wasn't he dressed as Father Christmas as well? Yeah, yeah. The final scene in that first yeah. episode was yeah. he was dressed as Father Christmas, yeah. and 
the girl who played, he'd killed India and India's sister, Texas, who had no idea what had happened, was sitting on his knee laughing. Just genius. It's fucking brilliant. And what I loved about that is um, it was so ballsy that the murder happened and that wasn't the hook of the episode. So yeah, you're like, yeah. oh my God, what else could possibly happen if she's just been murdered and the episode hasn't finished? What is still around the corner? And then obviously it was the it was the reveal that it was the granddad. It was just so good. And then... And, and, Sa- oh, thank you. Then he had a, he had a reign of terror um, for yeah. a bit, didn't he? And then, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's just nice because they've never, they've never killed him off. So every now and again, when they because the actor is um, Jeff Rawl, who's really, he's a really big name, his name does... Yeah. Um, Harry Potter and, and yeah, he does yeah. theatre and stuff. So I think when he when he's up for it, um, yeah, he he comes back to to kill a few people. <laughs> so good, it's so good. He's he constantly haunts Hollyoaks, doesn't he? He's a bit like the Michael Myers of Hollyoaks, really. He's always yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just so cool. Yeah. So um, so you from what I I mean, we know each other really well, but um, I've, what I've noticed is that when we do come up with stories for the show and we do long-term stories you do you are inspired a lot by old school horror and also old school tv and tv movies aren't you that's that's where uh, a lot of your ideas come from the most recent thing we've been watching is the old eight atv series thriller which i know you know oh i love it yeah yeah and you know it, it's really funny watching them because they're about a hundred about an about an hour and then for america they added a bit they made they, they added like extra bits of some establishing shots and stuff. And so they're from the early 70s and they are creaky because television was different than the way it was shot and the way it was written. But the stories there are just, they're, they're so good. And I think they they could work now. They could work on, on Hollyoaks. They, you, you could remake these, but, you know, even like there's, there's one that I know you've watched as well. I think it's called Death to Sister Mary, which is a soap opera actress who's been stalked. <laughs> That that could be made now. Um, we, we we recently watched If It's a Man Hang Up. Um, oh yeah, I love that one. Which is Carol Carol Lindley getting um, stalked by a man over the phone, and you know the file under fear is a brilliant one, which is Maureen Lipman works in a library. Yeah, we've we seen that, that one recently. That's with the that's with the say, the girls getting murdered by the bridge, isn't it? That's um, right. Yeah, and is Donna Mills in that one? No, no, she's not in that one. But we did. Oh, I can't think what it was called. We watched, <laughs> we watched, we watched one with her the other day where it was her and Judy Khan, and they were, they were, step, they'd moved into a bed set, and basically yes, and the house was haunted. The, yeah, there was like devil worshippers. <laughs> I love that one, and you can see them peering through the through the crack in the ceiling. That's right. So, that, yeah. that, that's right. Yeah, and then, it, didn't they recently as well? The, the eye, the eyeball peering through the crack in the ceiling. Oh my was, god! Um, but again, Hollyoaks did that years ago, didn't they? Um, another one of our colleagues who used to be in the show, Zoe, she was getting stalked, and there was like an eye through, an eye through a photo or something, wasn't there on yeah, the wall? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, you find that when you go back to these to films from that films and TV from that period, the seventies, the early eighties, those sorts of ideas, those stories, they're still so universal and so relatable now, aren't they? So we will probably forever be mining them. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely, and it's funny when you watch them now as well because you just think, well, you could play this, you could play this today. But then just because technology is different, so because of the internet and mobile phones, you know, you can just use other other devices. We watched one last night. Oh, oh God, I can't think what it, was, what it was called now. But it was about um, a man. It was called Once the Killing Starts. And it was oh. about a... Uh, have you seen that one? I'm not sure what happens. He's a, a college lecturer. He's a college professor. We've no idea what he was teaching. Um, that was so vague. And also, there was only other four students in the class, two characters and two extras. But um, basically, he murdered his wife. But he was really clever because he he set everything up so he wouldn't be under suspicion. He killed his wife. Then he went to see his friend. And then while he was there, he said, oh, she, my, my wife said she'd call, but she hasn't. Do you mind if I give her a ring? Oh, so he, wow. he, he phoned home. And then obviously she was dead. Nobody answered. And then, but we saw this mechanical thing he'd set in motion start to happen. And then he said to his friend, oh, hang on, she wants a, she wants a word with you. And then he passed the phone over. And then there was the recording of what he'd got his wife unwittingly to say and so then he wasn't under suspicion and 
I, I probably explained that really badly. No, I but think it was just yeah, yeah, that's really good. It was it was really convoluted. But now, because Davin said last night, you could you could murder you could murder your husband or your wife, and do do this whole scenario. But you could do it in fact thirty seconds on your phone. Yeah, you could. You completely could. TikTok. But the story, the, the stories, the stories the same. But it's just, it's just a better, not maybe not better, but a different way of doing it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing. I remember um, one of my the one I pitched something um, a couple of years ago with uh, based on the TV movie Bad Ronald. Have you seen that? Yes. Yes, um, you bought they, you bought me that. I think you bought. I think I bought you it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. they used it. They used it for um, for Kim being trapped in the basement of the school. Of course, Hollywood. of course, they did. I think between late seventies and early eighties was a bit of a golden age for me for for these types of movies, and they're generally a bit Hitchcockian. Um, they've got like an air of class to them, but they're also slightly trashy at the same time. And Absolutely, yeah. They've got a they've got a woman who's of a certain age in the lead role yes. usually, and so it's like catnip to queer queer viewers. I think I think it's because oh, yeah. it every box. It's camp. It's it's a bit trashy. It's a bit dirty. Uh, you know, I, I I love all that sort of stuff. So the, this film sort of falls right in the middle of all all of that, and it, it's called the fan. And it's from 1981, and it's directed by Edward Bianchi and starring Lauren Bacall. Yes. Um, um, the fan um, was adapted from a novel by Bob Randall by Priscilla Chapman and John Hartwell. And when I've looked them up online, they're not credited for anything other than this film. And, um, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, sort of. I could sort of see why, <laughs> given how how things panned out with this film. Um, yeah, it didn't get it didn't get the best reception, did it? No, at the time. No. Um, so directed by Ed Bianchi. Before this, he'd, he'd mainly done commercials. Um, he did like Dr Pepper commercials and stuff. But now he actually has a successful TV directing career. So he's done things like The Wire and Ray Donovan and the American Version of The Killing and stuff like that. Um, and much like many other films in this era, the music is by Pino Donaggio, who does a very orchestral, Hitchcockian, beautiful score, yeah. uh, which is one of the highlights for me. Yeah, it is, yeah. So the fan stars Lauren Bacall as Sally Ross. She's an ageing Hollywood actress who's taken a role in a new Broadway musical called Never Say Never. Sally has a stalker, the preppy, handsome and utterly psychotic Douglas Breen, played by Michael Bain. He regularly writes her letters declaring his undying love, but they never get past her wisecracking, seeing it all before her sister Belle, played by Maureen Stapleton. The letters go in the bin and Sally never sees them. His letters get more intense and sexual, so Belle takes it upon herself to write back to him, giving him a slap on the wrist, and it sends Douglas over the edge. His lust turns to rage and he has murder in mind. Will Sally make it to open a night or will it be curtains before the show even starts? Am I safe, Inspector? Oh, no. The fan was a big camp flop. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Critics panned it. Audiences didn't really know what to do with it. Um, It's sort of, it's not quite a slasher film and it's sort of too trashy for a mature thriller audience. Would you, would you agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what a lot of the audience or potential audience thought is exactly um, what Lauren Bacall and James Garner, who plays her husband Jake, what they thought as well, because they they didn't like it, did they either? No, no. Um, didn't he, didn't James Garner describe it as like the worst piece of shit he's ever been in or something? Yeah, yeah, he did. And you, you, you know, you can. So, I don't. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love this film. But then it. he said, and Lauren said, it's not the film they signed up for. I read what happened was they signed up for it and um, Lauren McCall particularly thought it was going to be the study of a woman of a certain age or an actress of a certain age and, you know, struggling with her life and an ex-husband in a career. And then it was like Halloween and Friday the 13th happened and Mm. um, they changed the script, didn't they? And then turned it into a slasher film. And I think it works perfectly for me it's got everything i want in a film it's a fading star um, and yeah. it's got a slasher a stalker in it it's got 
we see New York before it became like Disneyland, you know, yeah. when New York was dirty and gritty. Because I love the Debbie Harry quote when she says she hates New York. Oh, she, she, lived, she lived there through, through, you know, scary New York. And she said it was so much better and it was so much more, you know, artistic and and, yeah. and, and stuff. And but, but to see old to see the old New York through the window when the re- Lauren McCall's uh, rehearsing the music, or when we see Michael Bain walk, walking through New York, and it's just it's terrifying. And it's, it's that, just that's also that that is that's a big selling point for me, and also for Ben as well. My husband's he, he we, we tend to we we lap up any film that comes from this era because you do get to see. The, the New York of that day. Yeah, I love the Debbie Harry quote and there's a Grace Jones quote. She, she talks about it and she says it went from being the Big Apple to the Big Apple store. <laughs> Oh, that's <laughs> really good. That's really good, isn't it? Yeah, I love that. Um, and yeah, so so I was saying before about that sort of golden age of of um, of, of thriller. Um, the, so I always count. Um, obviously, you know, cruising nineteen eighty. Um, yeah. the eyes, the eyes of Laura Mars from a couple of years before. Um, yeah, dress to kill. Dress to kill. And uh, and this, this is probably the fourth in that little sort of square of of films that I love from that era. Are there any others that you can think of? Um, for, from that era, what did you say? Did you, and it's it's sort of different because it's teenagers. But I love Friday the Thirteenth. You know, the, especially the first one. I, I think. Yeah. I, I, it was. I think that was. I think that was probably one of the first ones I saw on on the old VHS when it right. came out. So that yeah. was probably nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. Up until then, obviously, um, when, when there was no videos, it was just things that I'd catch on the telly, or if my mum and dad would allow me to stay up to watch them. But I was I was really aware of them. You know, I used yeah. to, there was a a, a, t, um, a writer called Leslie Halliwell who I think used to buy all the American shows for ITV, but he did a, he did these books called like Halliwell's TV Guide, Halliwell's oh, Film yes. Guide, yeah, and yeah, I used to so I, I'd have these books and be you know I always used to like just look for the horror films and so even if I hadn't seen them, you know I, I was yeah. I was aware of them. Yeah, I love that, and I love that. I think it's sad that that doesn't really exist anymore. Young people don't really go for, go to books to look things up and then go and have to go and seek them out, which I think is quite a sad thing. And you know, I, I love that everything's at your fingertips on the internet, but that that the physical action of going and finding the Halliwell guys and scrolling through with your finger, speed reading like Kath from Kath and Kim, <laughs> you know. Oh God, and- yeah. Because because yeah. because going through, going through those um, those film and telly books back then, it was and it was frustrating at the time. But so I'd be I'd be thinking right. I, I want to see what he said about dress to kill. So as I'd be reading that, I'd think oh I need to look up this as well, and then I need to look up that. But then you'd forget because there was so there was so much going on in your brain. You know you, you couldn't keep up with it. Whereas now you just go on and it's like you said it's great. But you just go on internet movie database, type in type in the fan, and you just get a load of other films like it underneath as well. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you should mention Friday the 13th because I was thinking about what that Friday the 13th audience must have thought when they turned up to see this film. So, you know, there were a younger audience who uh, by now are used to seeing, you know, big boobed hotties running away from Mrs. Voorhees and they turn yeah. up to see a, a sort of backstage drama involving a woman in her 50s being stalked. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's not what they wanted, yeah. Because you know, Lauren McCall is a huge Hollywood star, but she's old. Maureen Stapleton's old. James Garner's is old. The youngest, the youngest one is um, is Douglas Mike Michael Bain. Yeah. Um, do you think is he gay? I've I do you know I I go back and forth on this. Is the character Douglas gay? Well, yeah. I mean, th- this is something I was going to I was I wanted to cover on the podcast. Obviously, I think it's um it's weird for me because. When you type in, you know, prop, uh, you know, uh, horror, gay horror, gay thrillers, films that gays might have had issues with in the eighties, this always comes up as one of those films purely for that moment where he goes to the gay bar, which we'll obviously we'll talk about later. But yeah. I, um, I don't read them as being gay because I think, well, why is he, why is he sending her love letters if he's gay? Because there's plenty, you know. I'm a gay man. I'm obsessed with people like Madonna, Bette Midler, all those sorts of people. I know the difference between being absolutely in love with them as a as a queer icon and wanting to shag them. Yeah, you know? but, 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 no, I, I totally agree. But then I, I think I think he might. I think he. I think he's probably gay, but he's in denial because right. he's. You know, let's let's face it. He it, it, at the time he was absolutely gorgeous, wasn't he? He could. Yeah. 
he could have, you know, fucked any woman if he wanted to, really, you know. Yeah. But he's like, and then he's he thinks he's in love with this. What's her birthday at one point, isn't it? And they're the, like 49, and Lombard is 46, and I think she was 50, <laughs> 56 at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's just like, you know, it's, it's you know, he's got, he loves their old movies. He's got framed photos of her in, in his apartment. It's like, it's not really the sort of thing a straight man would do, is it? Mm. And I'm probably jumping ahead here as well. There's one that I love for two reasons, where it's a bit, it's about the fifth or sixth letter he sent her. Yeah. And while we hear what he's written, he's in the shower, which is really, really nice, isn't it? And he but then in, in the letter, he said, I actually wrote this down um, because I love the quote so much, but he says, um, we shall be lovers soon, my darling. And believe me, I have all the necessary equipment, equipment. to make you very happy. Yes, yes. I mean... That's think about it. but it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, but also what straight man would write that? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I have all the necessary equipment. Dear Sally, I'm afraid your secretary doesn't realize her place. She doesn't understand that I am much more than a fan. I am a friend, and I am someone you can turn to in times of distress. And even more than that, it has taken me a long time to say this, but I know the time is now right. We will be lovers very soon, my darling. And believe me, I have all the necessary equipment to make you very, very happy. No straight man would ever write those words. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so here we are. We're back on the air. We had a little bit of a glitch, and now we've come back. And um, helpfully, Steve now sounds like a mad stalker on a, on a phone. So that, that actually adds to the ambience of that, the whole episode. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and, um, and, and if I'm a mad stalk, I don't forget I live ten minutes, fifteen minutes away from you, so be warned. <laughs> um, yeah, we were also talking about um, how it was. It would have been so strange, wouldn't it, for the uh, you know the Friday the Thirteenth audience to turn up and see a fifty fifty odd year old woman with a grizzled husky voice who sounds like she smokes sixty fags a day, um, being stalked rather than gorgeous little hotties with no clothes on. It was such it would have been a big culture shock for them. But, Absolutely. And and also there's like yeah. two musical numbers, isn't there? You know? Yeah. yeah. So the musical numbers, so this film was actually produced by uh, Robert Stigwood and he's produced musicals Jesus Christ Superstar, Tommy and Saturday Night Fever. So that's how he got Tim Rice involved. So Tim Rice co wrote <laughs> the two the two uh, show tunes that we hear. I know with um, with Oscar winner Marvin Hamlet, it's you know, but I, I just going off on a tangent. I think um, Diamonds. I, I think the second song is brilliant. Hearts not diamonds. Hearts not diamonds. I, I think it's brilliant, but I, I don't actually mind the other one, um, a remarkable woman. You know, that's yeah. the dance number. But did you know that Hearts Not Diamonds was nominated for the Golden Raspberry? That's ridiculous. Well, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. It's a fucking travesty. I know. I'm not going to sleep tonight fuming about that. I know, I know. And so Arlene Phillips uh, choreographed the dance moves. um, She did. This was like a um, a couple of years of, she was, that. this was 1981, wasn't it? So it was a couple of years after the height of the hot gossip um, game. Yes, yeah, so that's why it all looks a bit hot gossipy when they're on stage. If you're listening to this podcast and you're a queer horror fan, you might think this is all a recipe for a massive success. But uh, and add add to that as well, Lauren Bacall had just come off the back of she'd released her memoirs, uh, so that that had come out in 1978. That was a hit. She was also starring on Broadway at the, at the time in a musical. So all these things coming together should have made for a big, successful release. However, it also coincided with with a terrible tragedy. And a couple of months before the film was released, John Lennon was murdered by a fan at the Dakota building, where randomly Lauren Bacall lived as well. Yeah. That's so weird. So John Lennon was murdered by a fan. So that gave it all a bit of a strange air of, oh my God, are they cashing in on this happening? And then just after the film was released, Ronald Reagan, there was an assassination attempt on his life as well. So these things sort of conspired against the film. And didn't they, on the early previews, 
didn't they put like a disclaimer on? It's like like there's there's something at the, the beginning of cruising as well, isn't there? But at the start of the fan, there was something like, and this film is not does not have anything to do with the tragic murder of John Lennon. And it was, I think people were just like, well, if you know, if the, if you if the audience didn't think it, they're going to now because you just put it right in their faces just before the film's about to start. I know. Well, that's it, yeah. That's it. So that happened. And then, obviously, as we discussed before, Lauren Bacall distanced, distanced herself from the film. She sort of slagged it off whilst she was supposed to be promoting it. James Garner did the same. And then, so then I think it was on, it was on cinema screens for about three or four weeks, and then it was, it was pulled. Thankfully, um, it became a bit of a staple of late night television. So as, as I was saying before about films like this, like Dress to Kill, like Eyes of Laura Mars and stuff, they've all got this vibe for me of late night TV because I think that's possibly where I first saw them. Exactly. And I, and I think it can be just as scary. You know, I'm just, just going back to Thriller, when I was, I think I was about seven or eight and my mum and dad, when Thriller was on on a Saturday night and my mum and dad went out and so my brother and sister ever look, were in the house looking after me and then I begged them to stay up and watch an episode of Thriller and it's the one nurse will make it better with Diana Dawes. Oh, Diana Dawes, yeah, of course. Love and it was, it was, it was really, it's really funny because it, it, it's left, it just left such an impression on me. I was absolutely terrified and wished I'd never asked to stay up to watch it. But then <laughs> I'm glad I did because that, that was, that was, you know, possibly the start of my love affair with, with horror because yeah, I couldn't yeah. stop thinking about it. And once, you know, once I got a bit less scared, you know, a few days later, and you know, you just start thinking about it. And it, it, it wasn't as complex as this because I was too young, but it's like, well, why was that? Why did that give me a scare? Why was this bit good? You know, it, it just, it, yeah, it had a, watching, watching horror stuff had such an effect on me. I also saw the um, Amicus film, Tales from the Crypt. I, I was a bit yeah. older. I was yeah. about 11 or, 12, 11 or 12, and that was on. I remember ITV used to do horror films on a Friday night, but my mum and dad let me, well, I was a bit older. I watched that with my mum and dad, and I just loved it, particularly the, the first one, the Joan Collins story. It's, oh. it's well, just... that's, a camp, that's, that's also a camp classic as well. Um, and do you think, Steve, actually, do you think that might have had a bit of an influence on the Silas thing? Because that's Father Christmas, isn't it? Oh my God! I think unwittingly it did. I think uh, yeah, I've unwittingly stolen. Tales from the crypt. These things root themselves into our brains, don't they? You know, it's subconscious a lot of the time. It's not. It's not actually conscious stealing. <laughs> and you know, as Ben always says, all um, all art is borrowed, and all great art is stolen. That that's a lovely quote, and I'll 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 use that next time somebody else throws throws it in my face like you just did. The, Dang, what what you what what you just said then about it? But, um, the Joan Collins, it's, it's a court all through the night, that segment. Yeah, yeah, that's that it, yeah. is, there's just so, it's so camp, isn't it? Because you've got, you know, Joan Collins playing a fucking bitch who murders her husband. The blood is like such a, you know, it's a, like a hammer horror colour. Um, the apartment, not the apartment, the house they live in is just, a, it's so 1970s, but it's amazing, isn't it? Her outfit, her outfit is wonderful. Yeah. And the fact you know, right without this is a spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it, but you know, she gets her just desserts because of her little girl who unwittingly left Santa in. It's, it's brilliant. She does, and also the, the, the pinnacle of camp in that whole film is the moment where she murders her husband and she scoops up the blood in a champagne flute. Oh, that's brilliant. With, with, with a cake slice, isn't it? That's yes. Yeah, she scoops yeah. up with a, with, a silver, with a silver cake slice, as any Joe Collins could. <laughs> um, yeah, it's amazing. And also, uh, going back for me as well, one of my staying up late moments that terrified me, like absolutely scarred me, was Hammer House of Horror. And it was the 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 episode called the Two Faces of Evil, and it's the um it's 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 where the the family pick up a hitchhiker, and he stood there in a yellow rain mac and a yellow hat. Oh God, yes, yeah. And he's got this big long dirty fingernail, and he scratches the the husband's face with the fingernail, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget that image. And, and is that the one where at the end she goes, or near the end she goes, her husband's dead, and she goes to the morgue, but he's got that fingernail. The yeah, got yeah, he has, yeah, yeah. So because the the um the evil hitchhiker is like a doppelganger of the husband, That's and right. then there's, there's a car crash, and 
then the husband is brought home to recover in their little country home in the middle of nowhere. But then you start to realise that it's not the husband who's recovered, it's the hitchhiker, and they're living with him. Oh, it's God. really fucking scary, and I really want to watch it again, actually, so I'm, I'm probably going to dig that out to watch. My, my favourite Hammer House of Horror from the TV series, it's either called The House That Bled to Death or The House That Dripped Blood. Do you know oh, yeah, one? yeah. It's the one with Nicholas Ball um, from Hazel and Rachel Davis from Making Out, and they move into their house, and all, all spooky shit starts happening yeah. because of, uh, there'd been a murder committed. But then at yeah. the end, I think the, I don't give it away. The end of that is so shocking. I think yeah. when we find out what we find out what was really happening and the the, the repercussions of that, it's it's brilliant. it's brilliant. I need to go back and watch that again because I haven't seen that for so long, and I absolutely adore Rachel Davis. She should be still working. I don't know why she's not. Dear Miss Ross, I am your greatest fan because unlike the others, I want nothing from you. The only thing that matters to me is your happiness. I have posters, playbills, and a closet jam-packed with photographs covering every stage of your magnificent career. Your presence alone makes every one of your films a true cinema classic. I don't care what time they show on television. I will gladly stay awake until any hour in the morning. I despise those desperate, pathetic people who intrude upon your privacy. Your happiness and peace of mind must be protected. I know of all the famous men in your life, but I adore you as no other ever has or ever will. you have given me. You are the greatest star of all. Your friend, Douglas Green. P.S. Could you send me your most recent photograph as soon as possible? As it, as it opens, we see Lauren Bacall's flat. I love the, the use of Lauren Bacall's actual career. Oh, so, so did I, yeah. And it's a very Sunset Boulevard style, isn't it? So you see all of her old movies up on the walls and stuff. I love that. Yeah, yeah, all, all her old port, 10 by 8 and their portraits, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. it's beautiful. And the opening credits on the typewriter, um, I did, what, is that how you write your scripts? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yeah, I do, and I, I, I say them out loud, just like just like he does as well. Of course, of course. Then, funnily enough, when I go downstairs after I finish writing, I've got all photos of, of me through, through my illustrious <laughs> career framed on the wall. All your terrible hairstyles. Um, <laughs> um, just, 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 just what you, you were saying there about the beginning. It's yeah. um, the, the first five minutes after during the opening titles when, when we when we see um, Douglas for the first time and then Sally after the stage door and she goes home. It, do you think it has a drastic hill vibe those first five minutes when she goes home? Because I think Sally in the list and then she gets into her apartment and it's like the music is very drastic hill and oh, yeah. soft, there's really soft close ups of her like Angie Dickinson and it is totally. like. You sort of expect if, if Michael Caine appeared out of the, the shadows, dressed dressed as a woman, and stabbed her, you, I wouldn't have been a bit surprised. It, it, it had that yeah. vibe to it. It had that vibe, and also um, it, it put me in mind of uh, the eyes of Laura Mars because of all of the mirrors that she's got in her apartment as well. Because yeah. Laura Mars yeah. has got like, yeah. a bedroom that's completely mirrored, made me think of that as well. And also, it's the score, the Pino Zanaggio score, makes you think of Dress to Kill because he did the same, he did the music for that as well. Oh um, God, I didn't know that. No wonder. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah. love it. I love it. Um, early on, quite early on, we get an insight into Sally's life, don't we? We see that she's got a close friendship with her assistant Belle, who takes no mess, and and I love that moment where Belle throws a coaster at the cleaner. Oh my God. <laughs> but, but then the best thing is, and like I'd, I'd clocked this, and then I read it on I read it online because it was I think it's a, it was a um, a gay blog or something, but. Um, Belle chucks the coaster at the cleaner because she's on the phone to somebody, isn't she? Because Sally is starting rehearsals tomorrow and Belle is trying to get hold of her, her practice shoes. And it's yes. just like, 
it's not rehearsal shoes, it's just shoes. And it's just like, yeah, because funny enough, um, Darren said to me this morning, was I going to wear my practice shoes to do this? It's just like, <laughs> such, it's such a good thing. Where's my yeah. practice shoes? I love that they're forever at each other's throats. They've got that sort of, there's like a, they've got sort of a codependent relationship. Um, yeah, and yeah, and they're sort, they're sort of like frenemies. If yeah. even though that term didn't exist, then I think they're very fond of each other. Even though, because oh, I'm jumping ahead, but Sally gets annoyed with with Belle at one point, doesn't she? She does, yeah. Well, it's fine. You can jump ahead. Is that is that where Belle, where Belle's uh, nasty to the fan? Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. the fan. The fan complains. <laughs> yeah, the, the way he complains is amazing as well. But I love that. It's so they've, I think it transpires that they've only been together for seven years. But the way the relationship is written, you'd think that she'd been with her for like twenty-seven years, wouldn't you? And do you think Belle is in love with Sally? I think it's. I think it's quite possible. I think it's quite possible, but um. Because at, at one point, at one point, Sally says to Belle, "What are you doing tonight?" and she says something like laundry, the late show and a TV dinner or something. Yeah. And it's like, oh, are you, would you, yeah. if, if, if Sally said, now nah, we'll stay and have dinner with me, yeah. you know, would she? She'd jump at it. Yeah, she'd definitely jump at it. But I love that moment because she says one of your old movies is on that. She'll put me to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, she does. And then, but that old movie, um, we go to Douglas's apartment, don't we? And he's, he's making a romantic dinner for one to have while he's watching the movie, but then his sister comes knocking on the door and interrupts it and he's furious with her. There's um there's a bit of a recurrent theme, I think, with the three characters that they're all lonely. So you've got um so Sally's lonely and she's she's Sally is so lonely that she's got like an ongoing friendship with her ex husband Jake, hasn't she? So yeah. um Jake's played by James Garner, he's got like a younger girlfriend, but Sally um still calls him in the middle of the night when she's on her own and she needs to talk to someone. Yeah, she's and she's still in love with him, isn't she? She's she is. Yeah. But her doing that, there's an echo of that in what Douglas is doing. So he's at home alone writing letters to her. And that's never gonna go anywhere. So in a way they sort of mirror each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've never thought of that, yeah. And then also yeah. Belle. Belle is at home, you know, doing Belle. the laundry. You know Yeah. yeah. So it's also it's almost about that world, isn't it? That sort of world of celebrity where if you're the fan, you're the, you're the assistant, or you're indeed the celebrity who's at the centre of attention and everyone loves you, everyone is still a little bit alone. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah and also life can be shit. It, it, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, you're a big star doing a show on Broadway. She, she's alone. She's, she, Sally is unhappy, isn't she, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, so we we talked before about how the letter starts to get sexual, and he says, "I have all the right equipment to make you happy," and that's when Belle kind of takes issue with it, doesn't she? And she starts writing back to him saying she won't be showing Sally any more of these letters. Um, so, he, <laughs> so as you just mentioned, Steve, so he thinks Belle is jealous, and he writes to Sally, and he says, "Has this occurred to you? She might have lesbian tendencies." <laughs> So one of the staples of the early 80s thriller, I think, is a woman being stalked on a subway. And we have that, we have that, don't we? Because um, so Douglas is furious with Belle. He finds out who she is because he stalks Sally one day and, and someone refers to Belle as, as Sally's assistant. Because um, he ends up somehow getting into rehearsals for the show, doesn't he? JoJo's dance class or whatever it's called, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which was a real a real dance school that they used as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so then he stalks Belle on the subway and the music goes a little bit Jaws. There's a bit of a Jaws theme yeah. vibe going on. Yeah. And again, um, you mentioned before that um, bit of the beginning of it reflected Dress to Kill, but I think this does because he, he, goes, he goes straight for Belle's face with the straight razor, just like Angie Dickinson in Dress to Kill. Yeah, yeah, and... Uh... I was reading about this as maybe one of the reasons it didn't go down well is that she's she's like a fifty year old woman, isn't she? And, you know, she, <laughs> and you know she's she's also more in Stapleton that had like four or five Oscar nominations, and then you see you know getting a, a face slashed. It it is disturbing. I think it's great, but it is disturbing. You know, and 
maybe, maybe that is one of the reasons that people were just like, you know, I think it's probably more palatable for a 19-year-old girl, you know, to get yeah. their face or even Or even um, a 50-year-old woman who is glamorous. Yeah, yeah. Which but says not. a lot. About the about the viewing audience, doesn't it? That they would they would rather see an attractive older woman be murdered horribly with a straight razor than a frumpy. <laughs> yeah, a frumpy woman with, with like yeah. with like a mask on. Yeah, carrying the shopping. I know, I know. God love her. To watch but, the um, show on her own. I know, I know. With a with a TV dinner, but I so I was shocked to hear that um, Bell isn't dead. So I thought he was going to be on a killing spree, but the first two people that he attacks don't actually die. No, there's, a, no. there's a there's a really lovely characterful moment just after this. So Belle is bandaged up in the hospital, and she's still telling Sally that she she needs to pay her bills. I know. She's still looking after her. <laughs> it's, so it's, it's because she's in love with her. Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah. Um. So Sally realizes that. It was her fan who attacked Belle, so she calls on Jake for support again. But in the midst of all this, so she's still rehearsing her Broadway show. Um, the show must go on, and she's being fawned over by all the Broadway gays. She's singing the songs. She's doing the she's doing the dance moves. The dance moves are essentially her being picked up and carried by by. Oh, Damon. absolutely! Yeah, yeah. Don't you think her singing voice makes Marianne Faithful sound like Karen Carpenter? Oh God, it's just, it's just. Especially in um, Hearts Not Diamonds, it starts off great. Yeah. And then I've, I've never heard, like, a, is it called a baritone? The deep yeah. one? I've never heard anything <laughs> yeah. like it. And it's 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 just like, it's like a, the devil's growl or something. <laughs> I know, I know. It's not a um, musical note. It's not a musical note, is it? It's just... Yeah. But the funny <laughs> thing is, the funny thing is, though, she was doing that in real life at the same time. So she was in a Broadway musical at the same time. Was that so was people, that Broadway musical the one that was based on All About Eve? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I haven't done that bit of research. I think um, I think she did do that, but I don't know whether it, yeah. the one the one about now was called Woman of the Woman of the Year. Yes, so and maybe it was. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one she was in. She did it a few years before that. She did the musical version of All About Eve. I think that's called Applause. I right. Think. So people were actually paying to go and see a thing like this as well. Yeah. So, um, so to make Jake jealous, uh, she starts bringing David to parties, doesn't she? So David's her co-star. Yeah, and we don't even know is David actually gay. I would, I would, yeah, I would imagine I so. Isn't just yeah. like every every most men on Broadway are gay? Oh well, yeah, totally. And he goes to the YMCA to work out. He's got to be. He's got to be. Oh, gay. he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Douglas obviously thinks that David is another obstacle to getting to Sally's heart, and I mean it adds a whole other layer if it's, if uh, if we believe that Douglas is gay as well, and he sees another gay man getting to his the object of his affections before he can. True, <laughs> true. Um, it's actually it's such a gay thing to do, isn't it? Go and stalk him through the YMCA in little shorts and then hide underwater with the, with the blade. <laughs> oh, no. That is a that is a brilliant sequence, isn't it? That is, I think that's so good. really really good. And dead sexy as well. I love his little shorts. Yeah, yeah, cute. So he slashes David's stomach from below as he swims, which I think is really horrible. Um, but again, strangely, David's not dead. So there's another one that hasn't been actually killed. Um, um, he needs. Uh, he, he needs. Douglas needs to up his game. At this point. Yeah. It was. A, a, it was this around this at this point that I thought uh, I realized Sally. She's really cool. She's not waiting around for Jake. I mean, she she is calling him up at night and all that, but she's also trying to fill his place with other men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's getting on with her life. Yeah, and she's even she's even taken the cop, Raphael, who's uh, played by Hector Elizondo. She takes him home and makes him scrambled eggs. So That's she's right, sort of yeah. on the prowl the whole time. <laughs> the prowl, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is the point where Doug, Douglas does step up his game and he breaks into Sally's place. He's tr- he trashes it and then he makes his first kill. And the poor maid, Elsa. I jumped out of my skin at this point when he jumped out of her. Yeah, yeah. And she, and she's, un- unluckily for her, she's the one who cops it properly, isn't she? She dies. Yeah. Um, so this is the moment where he uses one of the film's most famous lines, um, where they find the body and they also find a letter from him. And in voiceover, we hear him use the line, Dearest bitch, how would you like to be fucked by a meat cleaver? 
marvellous. I think maybe that was the final straw for James Garner and Lauren Bacall when they read it. Can you can you imagine? Can you imagine Lauren Bacall's like hardened fans coming to see this film and, and someone uses that line? I know, I know. I, I think even the hardened gay fans from you know back in the day, I just don't think they just don't think they would appreciate this. Anyway. <laughs> um, so it's at this point that Sally uh, does the usual horror trick, and instead of um, trying to stay safe, she actually takes herself away from police protection to a secluded cottage in the middle of nowhere. Yes, she does. And I think it's really interesting because you would think maybe the easier option script-wise would be for him to follow her there, and that's where we're going to go, but she doesn't, does she? Now it's completely turned it on its head. So I thought that that's what was going to happen. The first time I saw this film, I thought, oh, right, okay. So the 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 uh, the last section is going to be in the Hamptons in a little cottage in the dark, but it does not go there at all. No, it doesn't. So this is the bit where we get to the problematic Gaber, um, where he Douglas goes to a gay bar, picks up a cute, nerdy, preppy type who's a little bit like him, and yeah. um, and then he, he takes him go to a rooftop. Yeah, a rooftop and the guy goes down on him and then he slashes the guy's throat and then in an even darker twist he burns the body he does now this is the point i was saying this to you the other week wasn't i where i think there's a plot hole so i guess what the plot hole might be but go on what were, what were you thinking so he does that he slashes slashes his throat or whatever, then he sets them on fire and then he writes a suicide, Douglas writes a suicide note pretending that that poor preppy gay guy is him. Yeah, to fake his own death. But surely they would be able to tell, even if the body is charred to a cinder, that those stab wounds weren't where by another person or do you think I'm reading too much into it well if you think you're reading too much into it I I was thinking well what about the dental records <laughs> un, un, unless unless in the script meeting or whatever they just they just decided that the whole body was burnt there was nothing left apart from dust hmm because yeah. because everybody the police are like that it's fine you can come back to Broadway Miss Ross he is definitely your stalker is dead. So, yeah, I, I I think that body must have just gone to ashes. Yeah, yeah. I still think that he would have got dental records and realised it wasn't him. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I think. I think my point, and then p- particularly your point, that it is a bit of a yeah, isn't it? A bit of a yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. But it gets us to where we need to be. I don't don't care. Like you said, it gets us where we need to be. (laughs) It gets us to... um, So, opening night at the show, she can come back, she can be a big Broadway star because her psycho killer fan is dead. So so we get to see uh, opening night, don't we? We get to see moments, highlights from the show. And um, (laughs) how would you describe it? It's like hot gossip meets Fosse. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is. It, it, yeah, it is. I, I think that's a perfect description. And it's just, I mean, nowadays, because, you know, because of, you know, everybody knows smoking's bad for you. But after, like, um, the few bits and bob numbers we see, we go for the, 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 the 11, what do they call it, an 11 o'clock number, half yeah. of diamonds, and it's her, yeah. and she's beautifully lit, just sitting on, a, like, a, a darkened stage on her own with a cigarette. And the, the, they've made the smoke sort of look blue. It's absolutely brilliant. And then it's she starts brilliant. singing. She, she starts singing, and it's brilliant. And then she gets, she goes, <laughs> she hits some of those notes, and it's it's a bit less brilliant, but brilliant, brilliant nonetheless. But I love sense. that. I think that makes me love it even more. I've always been a fan of, um, um you know, uh, I'd, I'd rather have the flawed, characterful voice than the technically amazing histrionic voice. So for me. Wait. I'd love yeah, that. That, that. That reminds me of my um, my friend went to see Banana Rama years and years ago when it was. Um, you might have to help me out. It was Siobhan had left, so it was Karen and who was left? Jackie and Sarah and Sarah and Jackie oh, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. new girl. Yeah. But yeah. before every song started, 
the original Nana would be like that. Jackie, you start us off. I think she had to start off so they could get in key, whichever Jackie <laughs> was that story. That's fantastic. I love it. But anyway. <laughs> um, so we get to see highlights of the show. We get to see Hearts Not Diamonds. And um, and it's all brilliant. But then we, we realise that Douglas is in the audience. Somehow he and can afford the ticket. Before he gets there, I think this is I think this is a brilliant touch. He the show has started and he's just putting like his fancy suit on, isn't he? He's a, oh, yeah. he's still at home. And I love the fact that he hates her now and wants to kill her. He's being really disrespectful by going to a show when it's already started. And if he That's was still right, in yeah. with her, if he was still in love with her, he'd have been there two hours early, wouldn't he? Of course, yeah. Well, he's already made the decision now, hasn't he? So he hates her, and he's sort of he's, he's sort of snapped and made that decision that he's actually going to kill her tonight as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, um, and it comes down to after. So after the show, he gets backstage. He kills. So she's got another assistant called Hilda. He kills her, um, yeah. and the stage manager Pop. He gets killed as well. Yeah, poor um, Pop. I know it becomes a bit of a killing spree, and then um, and then it becomes comes down to a confrontation between between Sally and Doug, Douglas, and uh, there's a great moment, isn't there, where she whips him across the face with a riding crop? Yeah, yeah, but then but then before before she does it, doesn't he do it to her as well? He's like whipping it. He's like he's coming at it, isn't he? Whipping it again and again, and she's like hiding between the seats, and he's trying to whack her over. Yeah, and over. I, I think you know, I think like we said about Maureen Stapleton in in the subway. I think I think Lauren Bacall being, you know, someone coming at her with 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 a riding crop. You know, for the woman <laughs> who was who was married to Humphrey Bogart, she was like oh. Hollywood legend, and yeah. I, I think it might have just been a bit too much for people. She's cowering down between the seats, getting beaten. It is really, it is really not dig- very dignified for Lauren Bacall. No, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, it's marvelous. It's marvelous to watch. <laughs> but, it is because she just can't quite believe what you see. And then, so in the end, she takes control and kills him. So, um, I read that the original ending was going to be that she died. Oh, I didn't know that really. There was originally a more downbeat end and planned. This is what this is just something I read on the internet. So it might not be true, but um, I think they even may have shot it. And then because of John Lennon dying, they scrambled to do a reshoot, and you know just before it was released. So that's why it ends the way it does. Okay, I think um, as much as I'm, I fancy Michael Bain, I'm, I'm glad it ended the way it did, and Sally lives to see another day. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, and it's really so she prevails. She's triumphant in the end. She takes control back, and then there's that great shot, isn't there, where his dead body is sitting in the theatre staring at the stage. Yeah, yeah, that's marvellous. It's really. I mean, I'm not quite sure how the his dead body got into that into that seat. Well, she would have had she would have had to prop him up, wouldn't she, to do it? Yeah, yeah, I think. um, Yeah, I don't quite understand. Unless she just thought, you know, she's theatrical. She thought, I'll just do it before the police come. (laughs) Yeah. Just incredible pace, don't go back to my place unless you're incredibly fit. Give it a but all is not well. In Paris, with all that she's got, she's got no love. In Paris. I think it's definitely found a bit of cult fame since then, but it hasn't quite scaled the heights of a lot of other cult films, has it? So the likes of, um, well, even the likes of like Laura Mars and stuff from that era and Cruising and stuff, they've all had these big re-evaluations and been released on Blu-ray and the, the, the screens all the time, whereas this has never quite got that. No, I know it was because um, I was really surprised the other the other week, and it, again it was Darren who spotted it. It was on um, the 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 
the TV channel, talking pictures. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, but um, it's never. It's I haven't seen that on telly for. It's never. It doesn't pop up like like you said. Everything else does, you know. I think that would be. I think the fan would be a great film to watch on Halloween, or you know, if you know, if if you lived in America, stick it on um, the night before before the Tonys, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's a great. Um, there's a great queer film blog that I read to get some info on this called um, Dreams of What the Cinema Is For. Um, <laughs> Dedicated to movies that fuel dreams and feed imagination. And um he, he's so he's wrote about this and he sums it up really well. He says If musical theatre geeks, glee habituals and folks capable of making it through an entire Tony Awards broadcast ever longed for an eighty slasher film to call their own, then the fan more than fits the playbill. <laughs> oh that's such a good quote, but it's it's true, isn't it? It's you know, so it's, yeah. And it's just, I think, I think if you, no matter what your age, really, I think if you, if you're gay, um, it's just, I think it's just got everything. It's got everything. Not every gay, obviously, but I think certain gays, like like maybe you and me, it's just got, um, it just ticks every fucking box, doesn't it? It does. We talked about the response. It was probably seemed, it probably was deemed a bit distasteful in the day, and it's like, well, yeah, that's good for me, you know. Just well, that's push, it. That's push it. Thanks so much for doing this. It's been brilliant. Oh, no, thanks for asking me, and I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks. Fabulous. Okay. Um, and, yes, that's it from Screaming Queens for this episode. So if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on um, I'm on Twitter, at Johnny Larkin. Steve, you're not on Twitter anymore, are you? No, I was I was quite an early, early advocate of Twitter, and then I just lost the will to live with social yeah. media. The only thing I do now, it really is Facebook and yeah, I even even yeah, I have a complicated relationship with it because I hate it. But then I'm so nosy. I sort of oh, I I'm exactly the same. So if you basically, if you want to get to Steve with your letters about fucking him with a meat cleaver, then you have to go through me. So I'm basically, I'm like the bell. I'm like his assistant. Um, so and, that's and, and Jonathan, um, make sure my practice shoes are in wear. <laughs> um, next time we're allowed in the building. Okay, and I, I'm going to go and watch one of your episodes of Hollyoaks because that should help me get to sleep. <laughs> when the noise dies down When all the songs are sung When the world's caught the last bus home When the swing has swung And thoughts of hearts and diamonds Start running through my mind Diamonds seem to cling to me Hearts get left behind I always chased those diamonds Hoping I would shine Hearts were not my strongest suit So you were never mine Anyone who knew all the things I've done wouldn't hesitate to say she's the lucky one. But I need hearts, not diamonds. You never understood. You don't know I'd leave those sparkling devils if I could. But oh, it's not that easy I can't let them go at least with diamonds something lasts with hearts you never know I just hope that she gets the satisfaction everything she wanted she got I want it No let up water hearts, no diamonds. I've had enough champagne. I don't care if I don't fly around the world again. But oh, it's not that easy. I don't know where to start. 
I've played with diamonds for so long, it's hard to recognize a heart. I'll give you hearts, not diamonds, and all you have to be is quieter than the world tonight. Keep me from the noise and light. Keep your diamonds. Hold on tight to me.